Ladies and gentlemen, uh, good morning and welcome to the fourth Cyprus Capital Link. Uh, I would like, I'm tempted to give you a Cretan uh, welcome. Uh, so I will say Cretan Madinada traditionally. Εμείς δεν ήρθαμε παδά να φάμε και να πιούμε, μόνο σας αγαπούσαμε και ήρθαμε να σας δούμε. We did not come here to eat and drink, but we came because we love you and we wish to see you. Uh, today's panel uh, consists of, thank you, thank you very much, thank you. Uh, today's panel consists of distinguished personalities of the shipping family and represents all stakeholders, plug administrators, operators, bunkering distributors, um, makers, classification, so, we are going to try to reply. Can I have the PowerPoint, please? We're going to reply to four agonizing questions. Namely, fuel quality, fuel availability, financial survival, and regulatory uncertainty. We'll also try to reply to the question if all this, if 2020, which has been predicted by uh, the Nostradamus prophecies to be the end of shipping and be swallowed uh, by the shipping, be swallowed by, ship, by uh, 2020, we'll try to see if this is the end or the beginning of the end, the precursor of a tsunami of regulations. So I would like to go into the panel and start with the availability. So I will ask uh, Mr. Bajos, Managing Director of uh, uh, LMZ Shipping, what ha he's an operator who predominantly uses compliant fuel. Uh, what is your experience uh, with uh, availability of compliant fuel? Thank you, John, and thank you for inviting us in this uh, panel, and thank you to Mr. Bornotis as well. Um, uh, we've been uh, using compliant fuel since uh, January 1st, and actually before that. Um, initially, uh, in, at the end of December, we faced some uh, problems in uh, sourcing uh, very low sulfur fuel oil. Uh, there were certain areas like uh, China, like uh, India, where you could not get availability. And uh, there were also some long delays and you have to arrange your stem very earlier uh, in areas like Singapore 
um, Fujeira. So we had some problems. We had to make some accurate planning in uh, our bunkering schemes. Um, but in the end, everything got normalized. Come New Year, uh, January passed, and now I think everything is back to normal. And I guess Nicolas can tell us more about this. But uh, right now, we are uh, quite uh, at the place we'd like to be and very comfortable with the availability of fuels. Very good. Uh, and with a note that I'd like to ask the panelists to be as short as possible and to the point, so we manage to manage the time. Uh, now, the operators from uh, Starbulk and uh, Safe Bulkers are in a different category. They are using uh, heavy fuel oil. They keep using the same fuel they've been using. They have uh, installed scrubbers, which is a way to comply. So I would like to ask uh, Mr. Nikos Reskos, uh, Chief Operating Officer of Starbuck, uh, what about availability of heavy fuel oil? Thank you, John. Um, we have been planning, obviously, the, a lot of installations during 2019. Uh, nothing really has changed operationally-wise. We did our uh, due diligence back in uh, May 2019 with all the suppliers. Uh, we did not uh, discover any kind of concerns on availability. And so far, it has been a reasonably smooth ride. All you need to look out for is uh, deal with uh, the right counterparts and provide uh, adequate notices of uh, bunkering stems. Otherwise, you may find yourself waiting for a barge optimization, as we call it. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Lucas Barbaris, uh, president of Safe Balkers, is in a mixed category because uh, the vessels of Safe Balkers uh, burn uh, both types of compliant fuel and heavy fuel oil. Uh, what about uh, your vessels, uh, Luca? Because we don't, uh, we don't burn mixed fuel, we just burn uh, uh, HFO in uh, scrubber fitted vessels and uh, compliant fuels in non scrubber fitted vessels. We don't have any problem with both uh, fuels uh, uh, whatsoever. Fine. Very good. Uh, I would like to ask. Uh, the bankering distributed, uh, distributor, uh, Mr. Nikos uh, Algirou, uh, quite a different question. Uh, I have the feeling that now we are in the beginning of application and people are uh, burning what they have stored. Any prediction of what will happen after a few months, like in May or June? Do you think that this availability uh, that we hear will continue? Uh, you mean if, if the availability of the fuel will be there going forward? Correct. Okay. Look, I think we have to separate what happened in December and January to what we have now. Um, December and January, obviously, the vessels were taking new, <coughs> new, uh, new products so they can stock up and, and be prepared for January 1st. Uh, everything has normalized. We're back to normal. All three grades are available. Even the, uh, the big... Uh, uh, spread we had between the, the, the three primary grades has, uh, has, uh, has stopped. With it's very narrow. Um, and I think going forward, because the stocks have, uh, have improved, we won't see any problems in, uh, in supply. If we have issues regarding very low sulfur at some ports, there's always gas oil that we can back up on. Yeah. Thank you. Mr. Arguru is the managing uh, director of uh, bunkering net. I'm the general manager of. General manager. Uh, 
I would like to come to the makers. Uh, we are uh, lucky to have with us uh, Mr. Anders uh, Sorheim, who is uh, the technical sales manager of Yara. Yara Marine is one of the best and most uh, established firms in Norway. And uh, I would like to ask him a few questions about scrubbers. Uh, about uh, what are the, if any, operational problems that you have noticed so far on scrubbers, and what would be your advice to the people who have, who have installed scrubbers? If you're talking about uh, operational problems. Uh, if any. Then we, we, you see some issues with ships that have been retrofitted with scrubbers in, in shipyards with no experience. Um, so there's a poor installation. Um, we try, of course, to be there and supervise and give our guidelines, but uh, if it's a, no offense, Chinese shipyard with no experience from before, then that might cause some issues. So my biggest advice is to, if you plan on retrofitting scrubbers, go for an experienced shipyard, go for an experienced uh, integrator or engineering company, and you can uh, avoid many of these stupid little mistakes. Uh, do you expect uh, a second wave of uh, scrubber orders, and when do you place that? Yeah, I would actually call it a third wave, because uh, we uh, in our marine we saw the first wave starting in the in the end of 2017, beginning of 2018. That's when we uh, started having serious discussions with some of the bigger ship operators and ship owners, and then towards. I think that peaked at summer of 2018, and then it got a little slower, and then in the beginning of 2019, we saw a renewed interest. I think ship owners were scrambling to get uh, their ships fitted with scrubbers before IMO 2020, uh, which of course uh, resulted in very long delivery times with all the major scrubber makers. Um, last fall was a little quiet, but now it's getting busy again, so I s we see that not only the, the ship owners who were kind of on the fence waiting to see what will happen in January 2020, they're coming back, but also the ship owners who have previously said that they will no way they will install scrubbers, they are also now at least smelling around for scrubbers. As well as, of course, our existing customers are coming back for more declaring options. So I think the third wave is, uh, is here. Very good, thank you. Uh, now I would like to come to uh, a person who has a view of all worlds, uh, Mr. Yanis Estratiu, who is the, the head of the Marine Environmental Unit. And uh, first of all, uh, Yanis can see uh, how many phonars, fuel oil non-availability reports, uh, exist uh, worldwide. And uh, he will tell you an amazing number. What is that number, Yanis? Uh, <coughs> First of all, uh, a very warm good morning to all from Festival Dimash. And also to congratulate uh, Nikos and Nicholas and his team for organizing again a successful event. This is the Capital Forum way of success. About FONAR. First of all, allow me to say that FONAR is not an exception. Okay? 
it's a way of communication between the ship and the next port of, blood, uh, of call through the flag. And when the flag is ensured that it was a genuine case of non-availability, then on that case we upload the information accompanied uh, uh, with uh, objective evidence about the non-availability up to now and from Cyprus starting from the end of November. We upload to the GISA system, and this is a magical number because some people of this room may expect to say something huge, four, four corners. Maybe someone may claim that, okay, uh, in Cyprus, uh, all the, let's say the practice ship owners are raising the Cyprus flag, that's why you have limited numbers. Let's, uh, let's see what it happens worldwide. Total honor on G6 system, 64. All over the world. 64. Six from Marshall Island, 22 from uh, uh, Liberia, 18 from Panama, zero from Greece, zero from Malta. And at least from article and statistics that uh, shows during January, it seems that uh, there is availability at at least uh, six uh, countries covering about 350 ports in the world. I will, not, I will, I will refrain to conclude whether there is availability or not. I present just number and I left this conclusion to you. Thank you. This, uh, this is very consistent with what uh, we've heard here so far. But it remains to be seen if we're going to have the same number a few months from now. Uh, I would like to ask you, since you have such a good insight, any reported scrubber problems? First of all, I would like also to underline that this administration equally treats all ways of implementation of the sulfur cap, and it that, has includes, to be. It has to uh, be. that includes compliant fuel, use of scrubber, or use of other alternative methods. Uh, this is a, a tricky question because we have to differentiate what is a malfunction and what is a breakdown. I mean practically so, break down because let me uh, clarify. We have a few cases related to instrumental malfunction. And when you have instrumental malfunction, this does not ne necessarily mean that it's a failure of the system because yeah. we monitor four parameters. So if one of the instruments of the monitoring of these parameters is, no, is not working, then we have to take into consideration the figures of the other parameters and then to decide whether it's a breakdown or not. In case of breakdown, and first of all, the, the operator of the ship should within one hour notify the administration. 
and it's permissible for a certain time. Yes. Actually, <laughs> Marburg Convention on Regulation 3 provides that uh, regulations shall not apply to any emission resulting from damage to a ship or its equipment. That this cannot be interpreted, that is an uncontrolled procedure. That's why IMO issue a circular giving details how to treat such cases. So our, our experience up to now is that there are some instrumental manufacturers. Perfect. Uh, and in, in the case of, uh, of, of breakdown, there is switch off immediately to compliant fuels and propose actions by the operators Sure. An agreement by the flag uh, about uh, what's going to happen sure. in order to be in compliance again. Thank you. So let's ask, uh, thank you, Yanis. Let's ask the operators uh, of scrubbers. Uh, we know Starbuck has uh, 100% uh, compliance by scrubbers. Uh, so, Nikos, uh, what is uh, your experience? Well, uh, first of all, I agree with uh, Mr. Efstratiou. The majority of the issues we have faced as well across 98 uh, operating scrubbers to date is mainly single sensor failures. So uh, one of the instruments that monitors one of the parameters is off. As long as everything else is in compliance, flag states have been extremely cooperative and clear with allowing uh, the continuation of the passage, how to inform the poor state control. Of course, uh, a lot of the teething problems we had to deal with uh, last year. So we have accumulated about 5,000 operating days on uh, scrubber operation. Uh, fears of uh, GRE were always there whether they are indeed as solid as expected, they are. Uh, so we have no accidental failures because of, uh, of GRE. Everything else is electronics. As long as you have the spares on board and you have a, a, a system in place that has been audited uh, by flag states, that's what we did at least. We invited the flag states in the office to understand how we will operate compliance. Uh, we have seen a very uh, interesting collaboration between uh, all parties involved. Very good, thank you. Uh, Luca, let me ask uh, you if you have been affected in your uh, scrubber retrofitting program by the corona uh, virus in China. Have you managed to make it on time or you still have some ships there? Look, I think uh, last year we had uh, postponed uh, uh, vessels that supposed to reach uh, shipyards uh, the second uh, part of uh, December. Uh, and uh, for that reason, uh, of course, because of the Chinese New Year. Now it has happened that uh, in China, after Chinese New Year we have this uh, coronavirus and again we have uh, postponed uh, uh, most of the dry dockings for uh, the second quarter, mainly because we want to clear out the situation in China. In, in, in China the CPS do not operate effectively right now, they're very slow. Uh, and so the only risk that you run if you go there is just to sit and wait. Any, let's be optimistic, uh, any prediction for recovery? And I'm, I'm quite confident that uh, in the second quarter of, I mean, uh, after March, uh, the situation in China will be controlled. The issue is what will happen in Europe, <laughs> where we do not have this kind of uh, uh, strict controls uh, like China. Thank you. Uh, Americans have a saying, they have many wise sayings. Uh, one of them is that uh, there are no free lunches. 
So compliant fuel comes with its problems. Uh, I would like to ask uh, the operators who build, who utilize compliant fuel, like LMZ and uh, safe bulkers, what, are this, what is their experience so far with, uh, and then I will come to the bankering uh, uh, company, uh, what is their experience with uh, compliant fuel? Any problems, uh, George? I mean, we were prepared for a bumpy ride because we, we knew somehow how it is to use uh, low sulfur fuel. Most of us, uh, when bunkering in Brazil, we would take low sulfur fuel in the past, so adjust the cylinder oil feed rate and BN would do the trick most of the times. But we hadn't used it all of the time. So uh, now two months uh, after New Year, it's been a smooth ride so far, which is good. We've had some uh, occasional uh, points of concern, but so far nothing has been, at least from what the makers are telling us and whoever who have uh, consulted with, uh, not connected with uh, their new fuels. Uh, the test uh, results uh, come out okay so far, but in reality we remain concerned. It's been only two months. We think it's a very short period. Uh, in the next uh, four to six months, uh, we'll have more to discuss about this, so we remain alert. Uh, so sedimentation might occur. We think it might affect some of our uh, overhauling intervals. We think we should shorten the period of some uh, overhaulings, and uh, this is what we're doing. We take uh, every day at a time, and we try to plan ahead by reducing uh, some of our overhauling times. Thank you. So business as usual, more or less. So far, yes. Uh, what is the, that's, uh, say, Balkans have similar experience? experience. Look, I think everybody is experienced in uh, burning uh, low sulfur uh, fuels because uh, when you go to ECA areas, you burn uh, such fuels uh, for, let's say, about 10 days. Uh, for us, we run, uh, uh, we have run uh, risk assessment for both cases, for scrubber and, and uh, non-scrubber vessels for both fuels, and uh, then you can recognize uh, in each case, what are the necessary spares, what are the necessary uh, actions you need to take in order to be effective if something goes wrong. Uh, so I think that uh, we have done the job. We have, let's say, the necessary spares for each occasion. Uh, right now, we are using uh, about 50% uh, HFO, 38% uh, uh, low sulfur MGO, uh, and only 12% uh, very, uh, very low sulfur fuel oil. So I think we, we use everything. The question is always a risk assessment on, of, of what we are doing. Very good. Uh, I would like to ask Mr. Argiru, uh, typically now it appears that the so-called cold flow properties become very important. Uh, the density, the viscosity, there is wide variability. Do you think it's a good idea for the bankering company to provide all this data to the company prior to banker delivery? Yeah. Um, okay. First, I think we, we really need to understand the massive undertaking of this switch. Okay, so uh, moving to this very low sulfur fuel was, was really a massive undertaking. Um, okay, we had some teething problems, but I think generally, although expensive, it was relatively smooth. We had problems with cold flow, we had issues with, um, with some, uh, some sulfur issues, 
at, at the beginning, we had some sediment issues. Bunkernet, I can say that we had one debunkering that we had to do because of TSP issue. Um, we had uh, four uh, cold, uh, cold property uh, pore point issues that because we had to heat the fuel, because of the paraffinic um, uh, makeup of the new fuel, and we also had uh, very borderline uh, sulfur issues in regard to, um, uh, you know, R&R, ISO up to 0 0.53. So generally, it's a very, very low number when you take into consideration the amount of vessels that are taking the new product. Um, on this, I just, I j I, you know, I just need to say that Bankinet, uh, we uh, send a certificate of quality to every delivery that we do. This is something that we think that is important to be done, and, and we do it. Um, I don't know if it's done uh, across, the, you know, across the board, but, but we do that because it's good for the, for the engineering team to know exactly what they're getting on, on, on the vessel. But something I have to uh, be very, very um, critical of here is that uh, owners really must uh, push their crews in regard to the sampling. The sampling is absolutely critical. The crews need to go and check the drip samplers. They need to be present when they're sealing the cubitainers, and they need to be signing off something that they actually got in their hands when they saw it to be done. Because it's the only way that you are going to protect your vessels, and it's the only way that you know what is being tested in the lab is actually what is in the tanks. That is what needs to be done, more than you know, speculating on if the product is off-spec or not. Very good. And you give me actually the incentive to say that what uh, Dr. Barbaris mentioned is very critical. If you do a risk assessment proper and you know your fuel, you are okay. Yeah. You will be okay. Yeah. Uh, with that, I would like to ask Mr. Evstratiu, uh, again, uh, speaking of samples, uh, how many samples uh, do we have and which one is the king of samples? Officially now, it's one. It's uh, the Marpol delivery samples. Actually, it, wo it is what the banker provides to the ship. The barge. So, but there is in process an amendment procedure in Marpol, and they include two new uh, definitions. The in-use sample, practically, is what is on the surface tank, and the onboard sample, which is slightly different from the marble delivery uh, sample, which actually represents what is within your fuel tank. So this is, uh, let's say, the, th the three samples. For the time being, let's say the more legalized one is the, the one that the banker delivered to the ship, and it, it was on this uh, uh, that we base and issue the banker's delivery note and, and, and things like that. What is interesting, because I can understand what is behind your mind, what will be changed after the acceptance of those amendments? Uh, what is interesting that on in use and on board fuel oil sample procedure is that that the percentage of 0.11 for fuels used in Sega's area and 
53 of sulfur content for fuel use in other areas will be considered as meeting the requirement. It's important. This is uh, the interesting issue, but I repeat that legally, for the time being, there is only one uh, sample referred to marble. Normally, poor state controls so, uh, take samples and make uh, analyze the in-use samples. And at least in Cyprus, this is the case. And there is a, a tolerance. We accept a tolerance in those measurements. Very good. Thank you. It is important to note that we have some small leeway for the, the new types of samples, very small. Uh, I would like to ask Mr. Eskos, uh, I mean, you have scrubbers in 120 ships, maybe, or, or more. Uh, now, how do the charters treat you differently than they would treat a vessel without a, scru a scrubber? And what is that uh, difference? Well, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. I think uh, there is a steep uh, learning curve for everyone at the moment, whether you are a charter or a scrubber-fitted owner, compliant fuel solution follower. Uh, we're still all learning. So uh, our experience is that uh, scrubbers offer the operational flexibility that everyone is used to uh, from the commercial perspective. In a freight environment as the one we have today on dry bulk, the differential in, uh, in cost, even if it's still not that significant, it does offer a competitive advantage to the charterer. Of course, whenever we do a time charter, we do share the benefit. So there is definitely a, a profit-sharing agreement there that will incentivize our counterparts to take uh, the scrubber-fitted sheet. And uh, in the cases of uh, blended fuels, uh, things are yet to be crystallized. We hear of uh, stories of uh, sulfur content being off spec, so that causes a concern to charters if with delays in ports. Um, potential delays due to some uh, technical issue that the owners have to be prepared to deal with immediately to avoid delays. Uh, so things are still not 100% uh, clear. I believe medium term uh, blends will be more stable. Uh, the ability to store them on board uh, efficiently and for longer time uh, will be the norm, uh, but I think we're still at the early days to have a decisive view of which way charters want to go. If the market improves, um, scrubber chips will offer an advantage uh, to an operator to compete on uh, long-haul routes, maybe with a different speed profile, but uh, we still have some way to get out of the present market. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, let's ask uh, LMZ, for example. Do, we ha do you have similar experiences? I mean, for us, it's a, it's a simple mathematical calculation because I guess all charters, they just want to uh, reduce their freight cost uh, as much as possible. So um, let's assume we have two sister ships, one uh, scrubber fitted, uh, one non-scrubber fitted. Uh, let's assume they both earn uh, $10,000 per day on time charter for the same trip. 
Um, and then, you know, the non-scrubber fitted would have to, uh, the cost for the charter would be the very low sulfur fuel oil. The cost uh, for the non, uh, for the scrubber fitted would be the spread. Uh, I mean, uh, Nico said that sometimes this is uh, uh, not taken uh, in whole. I believe it should be taken in whole. In, in, in reality, it's a matter of negotiation between the charterer and the owner every time. And, uh, you know, owners have uh, certain ways to, to defend. They can do the, 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 the certain trip on voyage basis and take the full benefit or uh, look for another charterer or what have you. Uh, so I don't think uh, scrubbers or non-scrubbers uh, make a difference to uh, charterers, um, maybe in terms of flexibility. And perhaps if you consider taking a vessel on a period basis, then, yeah, actually it's the charterer who takes uh, the bet on the bankers. So they have a view on the banker spread. Uh, uh, they want to buy the curve, let's say. So it's uh, similar to taking a vessel in for period with scrubbers. Uh, that's good. our view. Uh, in the interest of time, I would like to ask this question, uh, probably the last question I will ask. Uh, I have about 50 more questions, but we have no time. Uh, we are here and we are looking at the future. Some other panels will talk about it after this. Uh, we see decarbonization, uh, fuel tax, uh, EEXI, I would like to ask the appropriate person, the flag administrator, who will deal with all this. Uh, Yanis, uh, what is your view? Do you, uh, for example, let's take EEXI and carbon tax. What do you see coming? Can you give us a precursor of what is coming? I'm optimistic, though. On these issues, there is a continuous development both at IMO and EU level, starting, for example, from EU. Recently, on December 2019, the Commission announced the Green Deal. Within the Green Deal, there are some legislative proposals. Among those proposals will be the introduction of an ETS system for maritime sector. Up to now, at EU level, we have an ETS system for um, uh, land-based uh, activities, uh, activities and also for aviation. The intention of the Commission is uh, uh, to submit a proposal for consideration by the Council due the normal legislative procedure of EU proposing ETS. As an administration, we are not against market-based measure. Actually, on 2010, uh, we submit to IMO a proposal for the creation of a fund, which is another market-based measure. It seems that on that time, even the industry gives some support on that uh, proposal. So, more to come from EU. On the other hand, at IMO level, 
we should go through the implementation of the initial strategy. The short term. Short term measures, ETI, energy efficiency existing ship index, EEXI, it's a proposal made by Japan, but on that document is not only Japan, is Greece, is Norway, is Panama, is United Arab Emirates, from the industry, ICS, BIMCO, and Intertanko. Cyprus, on last year, during 2019, submit two papers on IMO, commenting on the, uh, let's say, the on, on share per measures. One of, of our findings was that the, let's say, the, ex, the existing index should be further improved because does not suit to all type of ships. What we have actually now from Japan and the others is an EDI also for existing ship. Uh, they call their proposal as that it's a, a goal-based measure. I have uh, my doubts how you can, uh, uh, for example, uh, develop or improve your EXCI just with operation measures. We will see. Anyway, it seems that it's a proposal somewhere in the middle, uh, let's say, to link the goal-based measures with perspective measures. For example, perspective measure is the reduce of speed or the, the reduce of uh, uh, engine power. For the time being, uh, we haven't uh, decided whether we would support uh, this proposal is uh, or not. It's a highly political decision, uh, so we will uh, decide also taking into consideration uh, the industry's uh, proposals on, the, on this issue. Thank you. Let me clarify something. The EXI pushes all vessels to comply with EDI of today. A vessel that was built 10 years ago has to comply with EDI of today or tomorrow. Every year it changes. That's very tough. And personally, I can see only one way to reduce the power, not irreversibly. Suppose you, the captain finds bad weather, then you can go back to the old power. So if you reduce the power, what is going to happen? Your speed is going to go down. If the speed goes down, we have a reduction in fuel consumption. So I believe the first thing to do is to make a study and see how many ships and by how many knots the speed has to go down. Because if it's a dramatic reduction, then we don't want to support such measures. It's highly unfair. If it's a few knots, then it's fine. Probably it's fine. It's going to be beneficial for the environment. Uh, I would like to thank everybody for your attention. Before I close, I would like to, uh, to have our fearless chairman, Mr. Tsavliris, ask a burning question 
to the panel. Thank you. Just a couple of, a couple of questions. Um, first of all, when you mentioned about the, self, the, um, the fuel sampling, I mentioned this because we're emergency response, we see casualties every day of the week. We've come across ships which have taken samples when they've taken on the fuel, and then during the voyage, maybe four or five or one week later, they reassessed the fuel and found it's different, or it's got different qualities of properties than what it had when it first was uh, taken on board. So that disparity, or that process of lack of clarity in sampling, perhaps you've got a few comments on how we can cover it. The second element is on, on scrubbers. Um, I have heard a lot of situations and come across situations where I have an extensive corrosion in the pipes. I was wondering whether you have any comments or solutions on that. And third, and last, is that on the crewing, on the crew um, ability to handle the scrubbers on ships, with a passenger ship, for example, which maybe has a very large uh, composition of, uh, of uh, technical people in the engine room, maybe some of the situation could be somewhat different. But on a, on a conventional bulker, when the crew or the ability of the personnel in the engine room is somewhat less, uh, are there any issues or problems which one faces every day in, in handling these scrubbers? Thank you. So who wants to answer? Uh, first question was... Uh, can I say something very quickly about the sampling? I think this is a very big uh, problem, what uh, George described, and I think the only way to resolve it is very simple, but also very difficult. Uh, simply physical suppliers should be required by law to provide all these characteristics uh, that uh, John said uh, we should know beforehand. And also, I mean, according to the law of the certain jurisdiction they operate in, to be obliged to provide them and also be regulated about it. I think that's the only way. I cannot see anything else on that. Mr. And uh, just a couple of comments on uh, corrosion. Uh, we haven't experienced any corrosion because we use glass-reinforced uh, epoxy pipes, but we did experience corrosion with bellows, which is uh, part of uh, an outfitting, or especially on the outboard, where you have uh, uh, high pH uh, uh, water. Uh, the solution was to move away from SMO254 to alloy uh, 59, and that solved the problem once and for all. Uh, but otherwise, we have no issues with uh, corrosion. I don't know what's, uh, what's your experience. What is the major experience? Yeah, uh, we uh, always recommend to have GRE pipes or similar for the, the water, uh, for the circulation uh, in the scrubber system. But of course, right next to the scrubber itself, uh, the temperatures are so high that you need to have a metallic material. And here we do recommend uh, either SMO uh, or higher. And we also want to uh, recommend that uh, in the design phase, so when the engineering company is going in and doing the design of the pipe routing, make sure that there's no standing water, because if there's standing water and it's get, getting hotter and hotter, that will corrode almost anything maybe except alloy 59. Uh, and we have also seen some corrosion uh, yeah, outboard. Uh, we, and the alternative is uh, coating with glass plate epoxy, for example. Um, but I think very important to make sure that the, the material of the whatever uh, alloy you use is correct, that it's uh, tested and it's correct. Because in some cases we've seen um, the sub-contractor sub, uh, is delivering piping uh, of a material that's off-spec. Yes, please. 
percentage of JRE pipes utilized? Uh, if you're talking about uh, in the scrubber system, then I would say 95% would be uh, JRE piping. Um, only we, we recommend like uh, one, one or two meters next to the scrubber tower to be out of a metallic piping. And uh, the third question that uh, the chairman asked has to do with training. So what about uh, Dr. Barbaris? Uh, what is your experience with crew training? We have uh, a created a, a training program uh, last year uh, in November, and uh, we have uh, prepared, uh, let's say, details and training material and uh, quizzes, and uh, all uh, our crews are passing uh, through this uh, program, uh, either if they are going to scrubber vessels or non-scrubber vessels. Uh, of course, uh, people uh, have uh, the option to be trained uh, additionally during the commissioning of the system. Uh, as vessel leaves from uh, the shipyard to do the sea trials, you have the about one to two days there, and these people get also an intense uh, additional training. And we have not yet faced any problem uh, whatsoever with the training of uh, our people. I think they cope uh, very well. Very good. The very important good. thing is, uh, I mean, for everybody, is that you need to, sometimes you may need to prove that you have this uh, uh, training, uh, and uh, so you need to maintain records of uh, the training that you are, you are providing. Uh, before we part, just a final comment. Uh, there is a lot of discussion about the, uh, the scrubbers and the wash water. I would like to bring you some uh, news fresh of the press. In December 2019, we had a very interesting uh, work, came out of uh, University of Delft, uh, commissioned by Interferi and CLIA. CLIA is Cruise Lines International Association, uh, about the effect of wash water in the ports and uh, the sediment. And uh, interestingly, the conclusions are uh, very positive for the scrubbers. Uh, I say that with the risk of sound biased, but uh, what they measure is less than 0.5% of quality standards. So I recommend this is the reference. If you Google uh, last, uh, uh, it was December, you will uh, download it. It is a very interesting reading. First time that such work comes out of a European university. Thank you very much for your attention. Let's give a round of applause to the panel. Yanni, as usual, you perform miracles. Thanks very much for joining this or being a moderator in this session. Thanks for the panel. I think we've learned a few things more than what we knew before. And uh, on that note, I'd like to call upon uh, to come to the panel. No.
Bond, on this note, can I please call to the podium? Um, well, the next session is going to be on ballot water treatment systems, compliance testing challenges. I'd like to call Mr. Constantine Stabidakis. Thank you. Let me wait a few minutes, a couple of minutes.